Well, good morning, guys. Sooner or later, we wake up and, and find out that this Christian stuff really is real. It's not just words that we sing or mouth when we get, come together like this. These, these words on the page are really real. And they mean something. And they begin to mean something to us. As we go along on this Christian journey, we um, are on a journey for sure. And on journeys, there's all kinds of, yeah, blowouts. I remember my... Wise family used to take a big trip every summer. They'd go for a month somewhere. They drove, to, it's when we lived in Alabama, and they drove to California and back, and did the California thing one year, and then they drove to Alaska and back. I remember my father-in-law had seven blowouts on the, the Alaskan highway, <laughs> the Alcan Highway. He never, he never said anything about that trip without using profanity. Um, I think that wore him out. There's a lot of going on the Christian journey that's the same way, right? You just sooner or later say, what is going on? And um, so I got, I got a word for you today. Um, it's not a word that's, that's easy. If I was entitling this message, and I guess I will, I would say helpless in need of a shepherd. Sometimes we find ourselves, and that's not something a man wants to do, find himself in a helpless position. Helpless means you need help. And part of the old man code is we don't need no stinking help. We can do it ourselves. We ride along. We can handle our own business. And if you can't handle your own business, you're not much of a man. Well, I'm not much of a man sitting here before you today, if that's the definition. But I ran across on my prayer calendar uh, last Sunday... Um, a gentleman named O'Hallisby, I don't know who he is, but he's got some great quotes in this prayer calendar. And this was the one for last Sunday. Now, this was right after last Thursday when we found out that Susan had cancer throughout her whole brain. And it says, listen, my friend, your helplessness is your best prayer. It calls from your heart to the heart of God with greater effect than all your uttered pleas. He hears it from the very moment you're seized with helplessness. And he becomes actively engaged at once in hearing and answering the prayer of your helplessness. Now again, I, I never wanted to be helpless. That wasn't, one of my, that wasn't on my bucket list. What do you want? I want to be helpless. I don't think that's on there. But you get to, your, to a place sometimes where you just realize that all you got's not enough. But this life is way bigger, way harder, way, way more difficult. The journey is, gets way too deep and heavy and all those kind of words, and you're able to handle. And so you need help. David cried out for help all the time in the Psalms, and God heard his cry, and he helped him. Peter was sinking after getting his eyes off Jesus and putting them on the waves that he was walking on. And he sunk and he cried out. He needed help. He was going to drown. And Jesus helped him and pulled him up and rescued him. So I'm standing at the sink, kitchen sink, I don't know, probably Tuesday morning. And I'm washing dishes. So we have seven people at our house right now and that creates a lot of garbage. Susan and I might have one or two bags a week of garbage. I got two or three a day now. 
nobody wants to go in the garage because the garbage is all in the, out there and well, we won't go there. Um, so I'm standing at the kitchen sink and I'm saying, God, I'm helpless. I don't know where to turn or what to do. I don't know. I don't know which direction to go in of all the choices we have. Because we're getting lots of, hey, you need to read this, listen to that. This this will help. My friend was cured by this. You know, flaxseed and cottage cheese. That's 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 going to make it happen. And um, and um, so I felt felt myself sitting there saying, I don't know. Um, and that was Tuesday. Uh, yesterday we met with the oncologist, the neuro oncologist at UCI. Wonderful lady. And um, I took the MRI from from the week before that we had shown to the op- to our um, ophthalmologist, who said cancer's everywhere in her brain. And um, so anyway, she the uh, the oncologist yesterday asked us. My son Chris and Susan and I went on this appointment, and so she said. Um, have you seen the MRI? And I said, no, actually, I didn't see it. She just told us what was going on last week. She says, well, do you want to see it? And so we said, well, sure, we'll take a look at it. And she threw it up on the computer, and um, she said, see all these white places that circle her whole brain? All that's cancer. See this? See those right, right there? That's the cancer on her optic nerve. That's why she's seeing double and then she just kind of walked us through that whole thing. And, um, and then we went back into the other room, and she said, um, okay, we we got to decide on the way from, from the computer room to the room where we were meeting her. She says, we gotta de- you've got to decide how aggressively you want to attack this. And I said, okay, what are our options? She says, well, there's the option of getting real aggressive with it. And what that looks like is we'll put a port in her skull and we'll start firing every other week. We'll start firing seven injections of chemo into her brain. And um, she said there won't be a lot of side effects uh, from it. She's not going to, she wouldn't lose her hair. It won't be a lot of pain. There's no nerves in the brain. And, um, but um, that's... That's the treatment, you know, that we would give her. And I said, what's the other option? She said, doing nothing. I said, well, how long she got if we do nothing? And she said, well, I'm not God, but I'd say two months. Um, she said, but I need a decision today because this cancer is going like wildfire. And she says, it's like mold on bread. It's just going to keep growing, and if we're going to do something, we need to put her in the hospital right now. And she needs to leave here, go to the emergency room, get admitted, and we'll put that that port in her skull tomorrow, and we'll get going. Or you can do nothing. So I'm, she said, I'm going to leave. Y'all need to talk about it and decide what you're going to do. Now, nobody ever wants to be in that room at that time making that decision. Um, but the Lord was in there too. He was in the lion's den with Daniel. He, <laughs> he was in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he's, he was in that room with us yesterday. And um, first, I, my feeling, and I think Chris's feeling, was coming from our feeling. You know, I think maybe we should, we asked her, we had asked her, so if she did this, 
chemo thing, what's her chances? She said, well, we could extend her life some months maybe. Uh, and we've seen it help people go two, three years, um, which is rare, but we've seen that. Um, but it may not help at all. And if it doesn't help at all, and we can see after a couple of cycles it's not helping, we'll just stop doing it. And um, so I'm thinking, gosh, if it extend our life, maybe we'd hit the two to three year slot. Um, and Chris is kind of saying the same thing. And, and Susan has told me for years, when we would see situations with friends and relatives and other situations where they had to make a decision whether they were going to... Um, keep the person on life support or pull the plug or, you know, which we, it's always, that would, some of you may have been in that situation, probably have big guys in this room. It's a tough decision. And, um, Susan, Susan had always told me, don't ever do heroic things to keep me alive. She is so ready to go see Jesus. And, um, I said, but what about me? (laughs) Isn't this about me here? I mean, you go to heaven, you're not going to miss me at all. I'm going to miss you every day. And um, so she said, I don't want to go forward with this thing. I don't want to get a hole in my head and be going through the chemo. We've had six straight months of doctor after doctor and ophthalmologists and oncologists and neuro this and neuro that and MD Anderson seven weeks in Houston, you know, we've just been on an amazing journey. And, and, and I'm not complaining. The, the journey has been amazing, the, what the Lord has done in our lives, in our marriage, with our family. Uh, it's been an amazing journey. Susan and I kind of played a game the other day, and we said, okay, let's, let's just assume that in December of last year, as we're going into 2017, if the Lord has set us down and say, look, you got... You got two paths you could go this coming year. Now, you guys have had, you know, you're coming up on 50 years married, and uh, you've had a great marriage. You've had, you know, 49 happy years. Um, You've been blessed. You got kids that are walking with the Lord and got great grandkids. Um, Yeah, the ministry's been going good and been bearing fruit, you know, throughout the years. You could just stay on that path, just keep doing what you're doing. Or, Susan, you could have brain cancer, blood clot, cancer in your lungs, double vision, dementia, and we could go down that path. Now, if you go down that path, you're going to have more ministry in six months you've had in 40 years. If you go down the path you've been on, you'll still have some ministry and you'll still impact a few lives. It's your choice. What do you want? Now, by the way, if you go down either path, I'll be with you. But I will be with you in a way down this second path of suffering that you've never experienced before. I'll be with you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. My grace will be sufficient. I'll provide for you. I'll protect protect you in ways you cannot believe. If you go down that path. It will be suffering. There will be disappointments, heart to heartbreak. Or it could be healing. Um, so, I'm glad he didn't give us that choice. 
He just decided we're going (laughs) down the path. But you know what he did do? He prepared us for it. Being prepared is a big deal. They write books on being prepared. Are you prepared for the, you know, eight, nine-point earthquake that they say is going to someday hit? Because most of us are not. I mean, we're just hoping it doesn't hit in our lifetime. But we're not prepared. Are you prepared to hear your wife has a brain tumor? I didn't, I wasn't too prepared for that. That knocked me off the chair. Are prepared to say cancer's all over her brain or yesterday? If we said, okay, we got, she said you got two choices. You could take the chemo or you could do nothing. I said, how much time if we do nothing? She said, two months. Maybe, I'm not God, but I'd say around two months. And so she went out and we discussed it. And Susan said, I don't want to do the chemo thing. And Chris said something like, um, well, you know, it's her life, Dad. We've got to let her call the shots. And I said, you're exactly right. Okay, we're not doing it. We're just going to, we're going to put ourselves in the Lord's hands where we've been the whole time. But man, this is going to be without any parachutes. This is going out of the, the plane saying Geronimo or something. <laughs> and, and you ain't got a parachute. And if God doesn't catch you, you're done. But you know, that's the best place in the world to be as a Christian, this whole faith life where you just say, Lord, if you don't come through, we're done, we're toast. So we're, we're true. It's what, it's what um, I forget the king's name. It's big and long, a lot of letters. Jeho- uh, Jehoshaphat? Yeah, in Act, in Second uh, Chronicles 20. This big army's coming down against him. And I mean, he's totally overwhelmed. And so he calls a whole nation together to pray and fast. And, his, and, he's pray, and he just prays this long prayer. At the end of the prayer, he says, God, we have no power and we have no plan, but our eyes are on you. Amen. And that's when that little prophet comes out and says, well, I got a word for you, King, and all you people of Israel. The Lord says this battle is not yours, it's his. So he's going to fight it for you. So face the enemy and don't be afraid. Be courageous. And put the choir out front, which bummed out the choir because they, thought, they, they weren't ready for that. They were not prepared, I'm convinced. They got in the choir so they wouldn't have to go and be in a battle. Um, I mean, National Guard guys understand that. Moving right along. Um... So, as soon as we said we're not going forward with that, there was an unbelievable peace and relief in the room. I mean, Susan had peace, and we had prayed before we even started the discussion. I said, let's pray. And so I prayed, and I said, God, we don't know what to do. We don't know where to turn. We don't have no power and plan, but our eyes are on you. Give us unity in whatever decision you give us. And boy, did we have unity. And um, on the way out, we met with a social worker and hospice is coming by today. And so we're going we're gonna to put ourselves totally in God's hands, and we feel pretty good about that. And so this morning, I woke up at 2.30 anyway, and I'm laying there, and the Lord and I are talking. And the tendency, I, in my case, is for sure, is for me to... to to look at what I'm losing. 
the tendency is to look and everything you see reminds you of what you're going to lose. Well, I hadn't lost it yet. I may have two good months. I hope they're good. We're praying there won't be a whole lot of suffering going on. And we don't know what... She told us a little bit about what to expect. But um, I'm just praying there won't be pain involved. But there may be. And um, so... I lost my train of thought on that one. I think, I I don't know, I think I shared with you guys last week how God prepares us for things. When the ophthalmologist came in and looked at the MRI and then she said it's everywhere, but then she got up and left and I looked at it and said, that didn't sound good. (laughs) Um, And so she came back and said cancer's all over the brain and all that. But I had prayed before she came back in and I just said, God, is there some passage of scripture you want us to go to? Is there something you want to prepare us to, for what we're about to hear? And he gave me Psalm 131. Now, I'm sure I read that somewhere along the line, but I had no idea what it, what it said. And I went to Psalm 131. And um, it's in here somewhere. There it is. It's really short. Three verses. It says, Lord, our hearts are not proud and our eyes are not haughty. We don't concern ourselves with matters too great or too difficult for us to grasp. Instead, we have calmed and quieted our hearts like a weaned child who no longer cries for his mother's milk. Oh, Pete and Susan, put your hope in the Lord. Hope in the Lord. I didn't have a lot of time at that point to meditate on that and really kind of see what God was saying. But I have since. And um, boy, it was such a preparation. You know, that first part, it says, our hearts are not proud and our eyes are not haughty. Proud means you think you've accomplished something. You've done it. You've, You've made this happen. You have it. You got enough to make the deal. And the psalmist is saying, you know, our hearts are not proud. We know that it's not us. And we know that our strength comes from you. Eyes don't look down on others. That's what haughty is. You look at others like you're better than them. You got more than them. We don't concern ourselves with matters too great. I got to tell you, I've been faced with some matters way too great. For me to great, too great, too difficult, too awesome for me to handle. And so I've just been saying, we're not going to concern ourselves. and Concern ourselves with them. We're not going to get overly caught up in worrying about that. We're not going to, well, I wish I could say I'm not going to lay awake at night thinking about it. Because I do. But the Lord, as he did this morning, just keeps coaching me in my bed. He just says, look, don't look at what you lost. I did Alan's wife's you know, memorial service. Several years ago. Alan knows what I'm talking about. Several of you guys do. Instead, we have calmed and quieted our hearts. See, when the Lord comes in and you turn it over to him, here's what he does. He holds his hand up and he says, peace be still. Who is this man that even the wind and the waves and 
reign, obey him. And that's what he does. We have, we have. Now he does it when I decide that I'm not going to concern myself with this stuff. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to fret. I'm going to quiet and calm my heart. And then he comes in with a peace. In that room yesterday, he came in with the peace when we decided we were going to not pursue. We're going to trust him. We're not going to pursue any further treatments. And then the peace came. And then the unity came. If you, if you walk in the light as he is in the light, you'll have fellowship with one another. Amen. Fellowship means there's nothing to be reconciled. But bless my heart when our daughter stood in our kitchen after we came home and reported to the family what was going on. She looked at her mother and she said, I've got nothing I need to say to you that I haven't already said. You've been a great mom. You've been the best mom I could have ever had. Now, this is a daughter who's actually our niece that we brought. We came to live with us when she was um, 16, 15 or 16. And, um, and she hadn't been under-challenged in her life either. She had a tough time before she came to live with us. But it was a blessing to hear her say, we're reconciled. We don't have a lot of stuff we need to try to get right before you go be with the Lord. I think my boys, I know my boys would say the same thing. Uh, grandkids, our, eight and, our nine and 11-year-old, that um, just devastated, weeping, holding on to their grandmother. Um, and so those are natural things, and they're part of life. Like a weaned child who no longer cries for his mother's milk. God weans us away. And I felt like when I read that, and I didn't know we were going to be in that room making that decision yesterday. But, but I felt like God is weaning us away from depending on anything but him. Pete and Susan hope in the Lord. That doesn't mean that we've been wrong in going to doctors and ophthalmologists and all kinds of treatments and do, considering all this stuff. I think we had to do that. We needed that due diligence, if you will. But you just find yourself at a place sooner or later where you're helpless and you're in need of a shepherd. Lydia White, John White, who's usually back there on the back row. John, I don't know if you're there, but today, you here? No, I'm sorry. Not John White. Not that John White, anyway. (laughs) He's given me more than just a book. He's given me a model of how I should live my life. He lost his wife a few months ago. Anyway, David Roper wrote this book. It's called Every Day is a New Shade of Blue. Comfort for Dark Days from Psalm 23. One of the first chapters is, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Can I read you some excerpts? The problem with most of us is that we have no clear picture of the God we long to worship. So the question is, God himself, who is he? This is a question to which all others lead. The question that God himself put into our hearts, that we could know him. David gives us a comforting and compelling answer. The Lord is my shepherd. Yahweh is the word he used, my shepherd. Shepherd is a modest metaphor yet one that is freighted with meaning. 
David paints a picture and puts us in it. This is the genius of the psalm. It belongs to us. We can use David's words as our own. Is the Lord my shepherd? David's opening statement, the Lord is my shepherd. Each line elaborates the symbol, filling out and defining what a shepherd really is and what he does. David himself was a shepherd. He spent much of his youth tending his father's sheep. The desert is one of the best places in the world to learn. There are few distractions. One day as David was watching his sheep, the idea came to him that God is like a shepherd. He thought of the incessant care the sheep required, their helplessness and defenselessness. He recalled their foolish straying from the safe paths, their constant need for a guide. He thought of the time and the patience it took for them to trust him before they would follow him. He remembered the times when he led them through danger and they huddled close at his heels. He pondered the fact that he must think for his sheep, fight for them, guard them, find them pasture and quiet pools. He remembered their bruises and scratches that he bound up. And he marveled at how frequently he had to rescue them from harm. Yet not one of his sheep was aware of how well It was watched. Yes, he mused, God is very much like a good shepherd. Ancient shepherds knew their sheep by name. And those shepherds didn't drive their sheep, they led them. At certain times during the year, it became necessary to move their flocks deeper into the wilderness, a desolate wasteland where predators lurked. But the sheep were always well guarded. God has been my shepherd, according to Genesis 48, when Jacob was saying this. God has been my shepherd my whole life. I find that a lot of men who have walked with the Lord a lot of years, and they're truly men of God. They're not just guys that are dipping in and dipping out or getting a little bit of Jesus goes a long way. Their their life is defined by, I love Jesus Christ. I find my identity in Christ, and I'm spending the rest of my life learning to become just like him. And so I asked these guys, did you kind of know when you were a kid growing up that the Lord was your shepherd, that he had his hand on your life, that something was going on there? Because I did, maybe you did. I knew God's hand was, I remember as a teenager riding with some fool in his car when he was going really fast and cutting around corners and all this. And I'm thinking to myself, he's really lucky I'm in the car with him. Because <laughs> God's got a special plan for my life, and I know he ain't going to let anything happen to me, so ain't anything going to happen to him today. <laughs> but I had crazy thoughts like that. God was messing with me, wooing me as a young man, just like he did David as a shepherd. He was wooing him, preparing him to be king, to be a shepherd after his own heart. He does a wonderful job of describing a shepherd, but I'm not going to take time to read all. What I can say is I've been helpless and I've been in need of a shepherd, and I've got one. See, the question is, guys, if you've got a shepherd shepherding and guarding you through your whole life and every decision, big and little, doesn't matter how big or little it is, 
that you're always checking with the shepherds. See, some of us have been those strange sheep. All we like sheep have gone astray. And so some of us are just dumb sheep. We don't, we don't learn very quickly. We're, we're not quick on the uptake. And so the shepherd sometimes have to go after that sheep and he has to just break his leg. And then he puts him on his shoulder and carries him around until that leg heals. And after he puts him down, he won't leave that shepherd's shadow. He has just gotten so intimate with that shepherd, so dependent on him. And he's found that that shepherd loves him and carries him and feeds him and pets him. It's not like dog and cat theology where the dog says, you feed me, you pet me, you love me, you must be God. And the cat says, you feed me, you pet me, you love me, I must be God. (laughs) Don't be a cat. But sometimes that's the conclusions we come to. See, we're going to celebrate these next two months. We're going to celebrate at her memorial. We're going to celebrate. And who knows? I may beat her there. We never know what God's going to do in the future. But we know that whatever God's doing, it's good. Whatever God's plan is, it's a good plan. He's a good God all the time. And we can be thankful and we can praise Him no matter what He does. And so we decided that's what we're going to do. He's our shepherd. He knows what he's doing. He leads us to quiet waters. He causes us to lay down in green pastures. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear. I decided, and we've decided, we're not going to fear any evil. We're not going to be afraid of cancer. We're going to look it straight in the eye and say, you can't do anything to us that our God doesn't allow. And you may be the friend that ushers Susan into God's presence. She's ready. That's the way men of God die. That's the way their wives die. Women of God die. They die prepared and they die being concerned for others. Susan is so much more concerned about me and her children and her grandchildren than she is about her. She's clothed with dignity and strength. And she smiles at the future. That's what it says in Psalm 31 about that godly woman. She's clothed with dignity and strength, and she smiles at the future. That's what Susan is, and that's what she's doing. So while we grieve, and grief is a real, and I'll, I'm sure I'm going to grieve and grieve more, but I'm going to celebrate more than that. I'm not going to look at what I'm losing. I'm looking at what we've had for all those years, and it's been wonderful. I don't know what the future holds, but I know God's grace is sufficient. I know God knows. And he'll work it out. He always does. Men, do you have a shepherd? Is everything in your life you're seeing, you bring before him, and you you have a faith that can't be shaken? You can't be knocked off kilter. Oh, yeah, you are a little bit, but you always find your balance in him. You always find that shepherd who's looking after you, caring for you. And when you're wandering away, he's watching you. And he leaves the 99 to come get you. See, it's never you coming to get him. It's him always coming. He left his throne in heaven to come and get us. He's that kind of shepherd. When we don't care about him, we neglect him. 
We live rebelliously toward Him and He still comes to rescue us. And we, when we say, the Lord is not my shepherd and I do want, then He can be your shepherd. Don't wander far from the shepherd. Stay in the shepherd's shadow. Don't make Him have to break your leg to get your attention. That you know what? I've got a good shepherd. I need to follow him closely. I need to stay in his shadow. I need to do what he wants me to do, when he wants me to do it, and how he wants me to do it. And when I don't, that good shepherd will take his rod and he'll reach out and say, Hey, I've got my little dog now. I just say, Kennel, and she goes. (laughs) She runs to the kennel. Because she's learned, not because I beat her up, but because I just say, Bailey, she knows what that means. And the kennel is, she's heading for the kennel. That's the way I want to be with my God. I want to be quick to respond. I'm not always, but I want to be. I want to be under his protection. I want to be under his provision. And guys, he's made himself available. That path that he, if he gave us a choice... That path of suffering, that path that, that's hard, it's narrow, that path that we just want to quit on and give up sometimes and get discouraged. And, and he just keeps encouraging, keeps pulling us up, keeps giving us scripture, keeps giving us friends, keeps feeding us and taking care of us and opening doors for us. No one can close and closing doors no one can open. That shepherd. He longs to have us as his men be helpless in need of a shepherd. He loves, he loves to see us look to him and say, Abba, the Father, Abba, Daddy. So let's learn from each other. And if you want to learn a few things that God's been teaching us, that's what I've been passing along. And I've got a lot more to learn. Amen. But that's why I'm reading Chasing Francis again, David. Because there's a lifestyle that I long and hunger for. And I want to have that life. I want to have it here and now. I want to celebrate. I love being a Christian. I told you that last week. I love being a Christian. I love following Christ. I love having a shepherd like my shepherd. And Sam sang it up here. There's no shepherd like my shepherd. There's no king like my king. So I offer him to you in a new fresh way today. I don't know how closely you've been following the shepherd, but... I got a feeling that are many guys as we got in the room today, there's going to be some guys out there that haven't been following your shepherd very closely. And because of that, you've been cheating yourself out of that blessing. You can follow him today. You can follow him right now. You can reconcile with him. He came to reconcile you to God. All we do is if you'll confess your sin, I'll be faithful and righteous to forgive your sin, all your sin. And cleanse you of all unrighteousness. He's offered that avenue of repentance to us. Where we can say, you know what? I hadn't been following closely. I'm doing things I shouldn't be doing. I'm not honoring him. I'm not living up to the standard of the wristband that I got on. But you can. And he's just waiting today. And I found that no matter how closely I follow him. I can always follow a little closer. No matter how good I feel about how I'm doing, I can always do better in the Christian life. And 
That's the path that we need to be on together. Amen? Amen. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close with a hymn that I remember singing as a boy in church. And I'll, I'll never forget all those hymns that God gave us. And it comes from Jeremiah 18. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there was making, and he was making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to make. And then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as the potter does with his clay? Look as the clay, look as the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. Lady that wrote a song based on that wanted to be a missionary and she couldn't get enough support to go to Africa to be a missionary and she just couldn't understand why God wouldn't give her enough support to go do what he had put on her heart to do. She finally concluded that there were flaws in her that God wanted to correct, and the only way he could do it was to break her heart. And so she wrote this hymn. It's called, Have Thine Own Way, Lord. Have Thine Own Way. Thou art the potter, and I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will, while I am waiting, yielded and still. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Search me, try me, Master, today. Whiter than snow, Lord, wash me just now. As in your presence, humbly I bow. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Wounded and weary, help me, I pray. Power, all power, surely is thine. Touch me and heal me, Savior divine. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Hold o'er my being absolute sway. Fill with thy spirit till all shall see Christ only always living in me. Amen? Amen. Would you tell the Lord today, have thine own way in my life? Don't be afraid to tell God to have his own way. It's a good way. It's the only way. It's a way of fruitfulness. It's a way of blessing. It's a way of peace. Would you pray with me today as we close? And that brother next to you needs you to pray for him because he's wondering if he should pray that. So let's lock, lock arms. And let's pray together. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. You're the potter and we're the clay. Hold our being absolute sway so when people see us, they'll see Christ living in us. And so, Lord, I know every man in this room has been touched. We all have been, not by me, but by the truth of who you are, what you can do, what you are doing. Not in just my life, the life of every guy in this room. We all have our own stories. We all have a story to tell. We all have a burden to bear and a cross to bear that leads right to you. And we find all our help and our strength and our meaning and our purpose, and we understand when we're in your presence. So, Lord, we praise you and thank you for that. Thank you that we can celebrate life and we can celebrate death because you hold them all in your hand. And you are the one that orchestrates each of our lives, that has a plan that's a good plan 
a plan for future, and a hope. Thank you that our hope is in you. Go with each man here today. Lord, change us. Make us more powerful in living our lives for you. Help us impact others by what they see in us and make them hungry for Jesus Christ. There's a man here today that's never truly given his heart to Christ. I pray that that man today would say, Lord, I haven't, but I want to. I ask you to come into my heart right now. I want to be the man you created me to be. I want to be a man of God. I want to live this kind of life and know you in that way in Jesus' name. And all God's men said, Amen. Give them heaven, guys. Can I say something? May I say something, please? As I, as I sat there, all I could see was a piece of Jesus in Pete Amen. that whole time. Amen. And there's a reason for that. Because he's loved his wife as Christ loved the church. Amen. And he does, he, there's nothing he has to put together now except to continue to love her. When I heard last year that I had two weeks... Um, I was in the same position as Pete. I was filled with peace because I didn't have to make up for anything. And so, men, if you're not loving your wives as Christ loved the church, if you have two months or two weeks, you can't put it together. You've got to do it now. You've got to go to the Lord each morning and say, God, show me. How to love my wife as Christ loved the church. I don't mean now and then. I mean every day. And then that, if that day comes, there'll be no regrets. Amen. No regrets at all. Guys, you got to do it if you're not loving your wife as Christ loved the church today. Thank you. Now get out there and give them heaven.